You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. How are we doing? Fine, good. So we're back, and uh, we're, we're going to be doing week two here in our series called Welcome to Together Church. So over the next couple of weeks, uh, what we're going to be doing is kind of letting you know what our values are, our values. Um, Many of you may not know, when I was growing up as a kid, um, my dad was a paramedic and a firefighter. And as a kid, that was the coolest thing. Because every once in a while, I'd be sitting in his car, in his truck, in his beat-up Ford F-150, and his pager would go off. And he'd be like, well, you got to go with me. So we would fasten the seatbelt, and we would drive with the lights and the sirens on the vehicle to the, the accident or to whatever, whatever fire was going on. And it was just the coolest thing. But I was never allowed to get out of the truck. That's what was bad. Like, I wanted to be a part of the action. Like, um, and so as I grew up, that was always the thing in my heart that I wanted to be a paramedic. I wanted to be like my dad. And uh, when I graduated high school, um, which was a miracle in itself, and got out of high school and went to my first year of college, I decided, wait, I'm an adult now, kind of, um, that still lives with my parents. But I can kind of make a decision on what I want to do with my life, so I want to be a medic. So I went to school during the day, and I got a job with the local EMS in Marlboro County, and I went to EMT school. And uh, I remember the first day on the job, I got to be in the ambulance, and we were flying with lights and sirens and everything on. It was the greatest. I felt like a kid again. We got to the scene, and everybody got out of the ambulance. I just sat there because I didn't know. I'd forgotten that I can get out now. I'm supposed to get out now. I'm being paid to help people. And it was, a, it was the biggest joy. But when you're the new man on the team, you get all the bad jobs. You got to wash the ambulance every night. You got to go pick up food if somebody needs food. And when a transport came in that needed to go to a local hospital somewhere, you were that guy. No lights, no sirens, just you and your partner on the totem pole at the bottom hauling people from here to there. And we would make two or three trips to Charleston every day. We would go back and forth to Florence, which is about an hour. And it got really boring because this is not what I signed up for. I signed up to help people who were bleeding, um, stick people with needles. Those are, those are the things that I wanted to do. And we got a call to do a transport to take a, a patient to Duke University. I'd never been to Duke. I was pretty excited because I wanted to go to Duke and see the hospital. And so um, I got nominated to drive, and this was before we had those little GPS systems in the deal. The trip was only supposed to take about two and a half to three hours. That was it. Um, six hours later, we arrived at the university. Um, I thought that I was going the right way. We were making really good time. The speed was perfect in the, in the ambulance, and we got there finally. Luckily, the patient was not dying, and he just laughed it off. And the, the guy that was with me said, do you know how to get back home? I said, well, Bennettsville is 30 minutes from where I grew up in Dillon. So we're going to take I-95 all the way back to Dillon. And then we're going to cut back up. We're going to go about an hour and a half out of the way. Because that's the only way I knew how to get back home. Because we were men. We were not going to ask for directions on how to get back. And we got back and we spent probably $200 in fuel. And uh, my boss looked at me and said, the next morning when I went in, hey, what happened on that trip last night? I said, well, we made really good timing on the way up there. 
and it, on the way back, and uh, I felt like we did pretty good. He said, it doesn't matter how quick you get there if you go in the wrong direction, right? You ever been there? Like you, you, you're heading, and you feel like this is the right way. You're making really good time, and then you realize you're in the wrong direction. You end up at the wrong place. Because I'm not going to even tell you how long it took once we got in the hospital. There's about five elevators in that hospital, and they don't all go to the top. So you might have to take one elevator to get to floor three, to get to floor three, to get the elevator to get to floor ten. And so that was a whole different ballgame. So, again, luckily the patient didn't die. Uh, they also got a major discount on that transport. But here's my, my whole point of telling you that is, is we got to be careful because sometimes we think that we're making such good time, and it doesn't matter how much good time we're making if we're going in the wrong direction. And so we never really stop. There were moments on that trip that I, I thought that I had recognized that this store before. We may have passed this store before, but I just ignored it and just kept going. And then you passed the store again. And if we're going in the wrong direction and nobody stops us and we don't take time to kind of slow down and pay attention to what's around us, we will end up in the wrong place. And we will miss opportunity. There's this little thing on the GPS system that says recalibrating. Y'all ever been there? And, and if you make a wrong direction... Your iPhone will be so nice to tell you, you need to stop and turn around. Do a U-turn. Do a U-turn. Recalibrate. Recalibrate. That's what this whole series is. This is our recalibration as a church. We've been going in the right direction. But the problem is we've been going so fast, we've got to slow down and reevaluate and recalibrate who we are as a church. And so that, that's, that's what we're doing over these next few weeks is kind of letting you know what our recalibration is and how we're going to do this reset because the past two years, we've had, to, we've had to do church a little bit different, haven't we? We've had some challenges. We still have some challenges ahead of us. But we're okay with that because the Holy Spirit is still alive and he is still moving and lives are still being changed. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't take anything for the past two years of what we've learned through the pandemic. And I'll tell the pandemic this and anybody else is that I think the pandemic helped us as a church. It was one of, probably the best thing that helped us as a church. Because it unified us, it brought us together. We've got a lot of new people through it that are now part of our church family, and it's been really good. So let me, let me tell you about our recalibration. Number one, we used to have, um, still do, we had a mission statement. We said that we exist to introduce people to Jesus and together help them follow them. Now let me ask a question. Be honest. Don't lie. You're in church. How many of you could have quoted our mission statement if I would have asked you just point blank, what is our mission statement without seeing it? Anybody? All right. So... We recalibrated it because that's not what a mission statement should be about. If somebody said, what is your church about? You should be able to tell them what it's about, not just about Jesus. I mean, it is, but there's other things. So we recalibrated. Here's our mission statement. You're going to love it because it's easy. We exist to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Let's say that together. We exist to love God, to love people, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Can you do that next week if I ask you? Huh? It's people, others. Love God, love others. See, we're recalibrating, y'all. Love, love God, love others, okay? Love others, because we never know. Aliens may show up. And make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Is that not what he told us to do in Matthew chapter 28? So we've got to simplify. This is why we exist as a church. And we're, throughout the next couple of weeks, I'm going to show you how each one of these things fall into what we do. If, we, if what we're doing doesn't fall into one of these three things, then we don't do it. Because this is why we're here. And, and we didn't just make this up because we thought this was cute and it was cool and it was different and we just wanted something different. But we believe that this is what the Bible tells us and calls us to as a church. And we want to simplify that so that you can say it. So love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Now this mission, this is our mission. This is what we do. We are a church on mission. We're not just here. We don't just exist. We are on a mission. 
And that mission was given to us in Matthew chapter 28. When he tells us to make these disciples. And, and um, with this mission, we are shaped around four values. So we used to have old values, now we have new values. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about all four of these values. So don't worry about trying to write all these down today. You can scan that cute little QR code on your paper, and it'll take you to our website where the statement of faith is and these four values. But let me give them to you real quick, and then we're going to talk about the first one today. Uh, value number one, we prioritize the gospel above all, above everything. The gospel is the standard in this church. Number two, we make disciples, not just converts. Number three, we send every member. We send you overseas, next door, across the street. We send members. And then we grow best when we are together. So these four values are shaped around our mission of loving God, loving others, and making disciples of Jesus everywhere. So let's, let's peel back the layers and explain these just a little bit. So today, we're only going to look at the first one, that we prioritize the gospel above everything, above all things. So Paul, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you have your Bible, but we're going to look at Paul. And Paul's going to show us in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians how prioritizing the gospel above everything, the importance of that. And, and here's, just to give you a little bit of context, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. They're not doing so well. The church has a lot of internal issues that are happening. There's a lot of external things that are happening to them, like persecution, but there's a lot of internal things. that they are, There's some self-inflicted wounds that are taking place within this church. There's immorality that's happened. There's some lying that's happening. There's some broken marriages that are happening. And, and, and it's, you know, just kind of okayed. It's fine. Nobody's really paying attention to it. And Paul's writing to address these things because they have gotten out of line with what he had when he started the church and he taught them. They have kind of drifted away from that. We all have this tendency to have these gravitational pulls that pulls us away from the gospel. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this. Um, we start here in uh, verse 1. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. So I preached this, you've received it, in which you stand. And he says, And by which you are being, say this with me, you're being what? Saved. If you hold what? Fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, for I delivered to you, listen to these terms, I, listened, I delivered you to as of first importance. Say that with me. First importance. What I also received. And he says this, for I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. Now, what is Paul using to defend what he taught them? The scriptures, okay? Um, if we can't back up what we're saying with the scriptures, we probably shouldn't be trying to use that to defend something with it. The scripture is the bottom. It is the gospel. And he says, so I, I did this in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He's, he's telling the story. They're still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That was a nice way of saying they're gone. And, you know, all the disciples faced persecution and, and were martyred, with the exception of John, who they tried, but it didn't work. So they sent him on a vacation to the Isle of Patmos. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul says. 
And so what, what is Paul teaching us here? He, he's implying something that other things are important. But the thing that is of first importance, this means that this thing is in a class all by itself. The gospel is Paul's agenda. It's not Paul's ministry growing. It's not Paul saying that I planted 15,000 churches across the region of Europe and in Israel itself and in the Middle East. No, Paul's saying the thing that is of first importance before anything else happens is the gospel. That's the priority. That is the agenda. And so he wants us to understand that this priority is is one of significance. It's one of importance. It's one that holds our authority. The gospel gives us authority. And so Paul also writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, there can be no other foundation in the church other than the message of Jesus. That Jesus is the foundation of the church. We can't build churches off of personality. We can't build them off of brands. We can only, matter of fact, we don't even build churches. We just make disciples. And Jesus said, I will build my church. But it's built on the foundation of the gospel. And if you don't have the gospel as your first importance, you have no foundation. The church will completely collapse. Now, it may talk like a church, it may use church words, and it may bring in a couple of church elements, but that doesn't make it a church. Because there are churches meeting this morning that don't look anything like ours. They're meeting underneath ragged tents. They're meeting in homes without running water, without anything. But it's, they've built their relationships on the gospel of Jesus. That is the agenda. So that makes me ask the question, why is the gospel of first importance to us? Why, why should this be of first importance to us? But before we answer that question, we need to define what the gospel is. Okay, so, so gospel means, I mean, essentially, it's, it's a Greek word for evangelism, but it essentially means good news or a good report. And, and here's the good news of the gospel, that we were dead in trespasses, and the Father sends his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him and live with him forever and live and be everything that he has made us into being. He has restored, he has redeemed, and we have repented. This is the good news because without Jesus coming, there was no relationship to be restored. We were dead in our trespass. Dead people do nothing, nothing. You don't have to go to EMT school to know that dead people don't do anything. They just lay there. Now, if you look at them long enough, you'll convince yourself that they do. Let me just tell you that from experience. I swear I saw a guy breathing one night. He wasn't, but I promise he did. Gospel is good news. It's a good report. And you know, the gospel is not good news to people who never get it. It's not good news to people who never get it. It's not even news. And we spend so much time talking about the second coming of Jesus, and we never, people never even heard the first coming. They don't know the good news, that, that he came to die for them, to, to make them right. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we may become the righteousness of God. That we can be in right standing with who he is. This is the gospel message. Jesus says, this is the only message by which you can be saved. You're not saved through sermons. You're not saved through music. You are saved through the gospel. 
That's the only message, and that is coming from the mouth of Jesus, is that people are saved by the gospel message, by this good news that he has come to have relationship with us, to redeem us and to restore us into the creatures and to the people that he has called us to be. And Paul says this is the, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing is understanding that he and he alone is the foundation. There's a reason that we've ordered the values in the, the order we have. Because number one, if we get this one wrong, it doesn't matter what the rest of them are. Because you can't make disciples without the gospel. You can't have a church without the gospel. And it's not just talking about it. It's actually doing it. It's actually living these things out and trusting Jesus in these things. Trusting and hearing from the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to ask you this question. Is the gospel good news to you? Because if it's good news to us, and we've realized where we were before we knew Jesus, and where we are now, why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we celebrating that with people? Because it's not just good news for us, it is good news for all. You remember back when we looked in Luke chapter 2 over Christmas, they said that this, this is, Jesus is for everybody. Now this was a hard conversation they had in the New Testament. They actually had to go have a committee that formed to talk about is the gospel for the Gentiles or just the Jews? And then they couldn't really decide, so they said, hey, well, here's the deal. If the Gentiles want to be followers of this movement, then they have to be circumcised. And the Bible says that they actually had that ceremony in church. Low attendance Sunday, by the way. But there was this fight of, of who is the gospel, the gospel for. And the good news is for everybody. That's the gospel. That's the gospel in itself of knowing. But you can't understand it and grasp that if you don't remember where you came from. Isn't it funny? We'll tend to forget where we come from because we're embarrassed of our past. But you don't have to live in the past, but you should glance at it to be a reminder of how far God has brought you and what he did to redeem it. Treat your past like you're looking at it in a rearview mirror. You don't stare in the rear, you shouldn't be staring in the rearview mirror as you're driving. There's a reason that the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield of your car. One is to look through, one is to glance back. And every once in a while, you need to glance back and remember where you were. And then what he did. When I tell people about this is how you share your testimony, you should be able to share your testimony about a minute. Where I was before Jesus, how I found Jesus, and where I am right now. You should be able to do that in like a minute. Because when we can do that and constantly remind ourselves, it changes everything. And not just where I was when I got saved, but where, where I was last week. Where I lost my temper last week. Where I made bad decisions last week. And I fell into repentance and God, God reached down and, and gave me mercy in those situations. He, he helped me. You can't ever forget. Paul never forgot where he came from. He would always glance back in the mirror and realize how far God had brought him. And he just told us here that he, he had seen Jesus. He remembered the encounter on the Damascus road when he was blinded. He remembers how it was when, when he found Jesus and he attended church for the first time. Could you imagine coming to church and Paul, who had been killing all your family members and persecuting them, shows up and wants to sit beside you and fill out a first-time guest card? Paul, let me tell you about this church down the road. Because your, your, your emotions here is like Paul's here for an agenda, right? So the gospel is good news for people. And it's got to be good news when people hear the good news. So I want to go back to the question, why is the gospel of first importance for us? Why, why does this have to be our foundational piece? Well, here's the first thing. Because without the gospel, people are lost. They're lost. 
Jesus would even say this is like a sheep without a shepherd, just wandering. Sheep are not very smart animals, by the way. If one walks off the cliff, the rest of them just walk right off the cliff. YouTube it. It's there. You have to lead them to greener pastures, because if not, they'll just sit eating the same old thing. They're not, very, they're not very bright. And Jesus says that we're like sheep without a shepherd. Without the gospel, people are lost. People are eternally lost. Apart from Christ, whatever earthly things that we engage in, it doesn't matter how good they are, they will not last. Jesus is the only thing that lasts. The gospel is the only thing that lasts. Think about over time and for years, the church has been pushed towards persecution. Like people have been trying to stop things from the church. They tried to eradicate the scriptures. They tried to burn everything. And the gospel continues to stand strong in the face of every bit of persecution. The Romans tried to get rid of Christianity. What happened? It grew. They tried to do it in Europe. What happened? It grew. Every time the church, and listen, it wasn't because of the people. It's because God, when he says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. His promises are always true. And his gospel, his gospel message is the only thing that, that remains. It's the only thing. And, and we can go and we can try to, and we, and we believe in missions and we believe in serving people, but let me tell you something. If we go and all we do is clothe people and give people food and help people get out of poverty and we never share Jesus with them, they've never heard the good news. They've experienced good things, but they've never heard Jesus. Could you imagine going on a mission trip and never talking about Jesus with anybody? Is that a mission trip? No. Because the gospel is of first importance. I love people enough to tell them there's a better way. There's a better way. And guess what? I don't have to know everything that I need to say right in that conversation because the Bible says that when, when it, he will move the hearts of the people and he will give us the words to speak to them. So if you feel unqualified about having a spiritual conversation with somebody, then that means that you're just qualified because he will empower you to, to speak and he will bring people into your lives. The, without the gospel, people are lost. And we can preach it all day, but until we live out the gospel message, it's, it's the most important message and God gave it to us to preach. Think about this. God has entrusted us with his word. I can't be trusted sometimes. Like I went into uh, Harbor Freight the other day just to get like a small thing. You know, guys, you know what I'm talking about? You go in the hardware store to get one thing, and then when they print the receipt out, it's like, I can't be trusted to go get a grocery list to get a thing of milk because if you get milk, you've got to get Oreos. And if the Pop-Tarts are buy one, get one free, you might as well get two boxes, Right? But the Bible says he's entrusted, he has trusted us with his word to preach the word. Now, how much, how much does God believe in us? That there's no plan B. I think about that with the disciples all the time. There, was, they were, there wasn't like a B team and a C team. If these guys failed, he had a backup plan. They were the plan. And I'm telling you, I read the Gospels, and I don't know how Peter made it. Because some of you work with a Peter. Complains about everything, talks too fast, doesn't listen. And you're like, if we could just get rid of that guy, the office would run smoother. Anybody have those? Don't raise your hand. You probably saw him on Zoom calls over this thing. But the, the, 
when, we, when we're dealing with people like that, we've got to realize that Jesus believes in those people because they're lost, and it's the gospel. When we see in, in the book of Acts that Peter got it. Peter, it took him a while, but Peter finally got it. Here's what I'm saying. Apart from Christ and apart from believing and receiving the gospel, you are lost. And you may not even realize you're lost. But there are people that are walking around lost today, driving back and forth beside this school, all over town. They're lost, and they don't even know it. And guess who does? We do. And the only way they'll know it is if we tell them, if they hear the gospel message. So that's the first reason that the gospel is above all. It's the only message by which we can, get, we, we can be saved. Here's the second thing. Without the gospel, there is no power in Christianity. Yes, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. If there's no resurrection, it all doesn't matter. Because in the resurrection, he defeats death. He puts death in its place. At the death of all deaths, Jesus takes the victory over, over our sin. And when he became the, the lamb that was led to the slaughter, the lamb that was slain for our sins, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in, um, in the first two verses, he says, now I want to I remind you, I've talked about these things. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Saved. And if you hold fast to the word that I preached, this is a progressive language, by the way. He says that you are being saved. You are being sanctification. This is what we would call progressive salvation. He says that, that your growth in maturity in Christ's likeness for the rest of your life, this is not I said a prayer and Jesus forgave me and that's the end of it. He says that you say a prayer, you, you, will, you said, Jesus, I want you to save me and Jesus saves you and this is a lifelong process. This is what being a disciple is. It's a lifelong thing. It's, it's growing in Christ's likeness every single day. This is not a grace going wild. I've, I've asked Jesus in my life and I do whatever I want. No, I, I've, I've recognized and I've come under the, the, under, I've come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I need Jesus. Jesus comes in and when he's in, I want to be more like Jesus every day. I was listening to a podcast this week with Rick Warren after 42 years of ministry at his church is, is stepping down. And they asked, like, I can't believe you're doing this. He said, I've been doing this for 42 years. He says his prayer every morning on the way to his church is, God, today I resign. To whatever you want me to do, I just resign. If you don't want me doing this anymore, I resign. I resign. Because when I heard that, all I could think about was that is every single day surrender. God, if you want me to do this anymore, it's fine. I'm sure... Pastoring a church of 30,000 comes with its own headaches. But then again, you wrote a New York Times bestseller that has sold billions of copies. But he said that at 67 years old, they asked him if he was going to retire. He said, no, God has called me to the next thing. I told him that I would take the next thing, but it had to be more difficult than what I did in the last. Why, why would he say something like that? Because he understands the gospel. That he doesn't just retire. That it's a lifelong commitment that he has made to see lives changed. Without the gospel, there, there's no power because we're, we're, we're constantly being renewed in our relationship with Jesus. It's an everyday thing. We don't compartmentalize it to a Sunday or to a little disciple group. We don't compartmentalize the gospel. It happens every single day, every single minute. So how do you do this? How, how do you grow every single minute 
in this? How do we grow in our Christ-likeness? He says this right here in, in the second part of that verse. He says, you hold fast to what the word was preached to you. You hold fast to that. Don't be so quick to let go of the gospel when life hits you. Cling to it. Hold it. Anchor yourself in what I have preached. You grow in Christ the same way that you begin in Christ, and that's by holding fast to the gospel, re-believing it, meditating on those words, being reminded of God's goodness, being reminded of the sacrifice that God made for us to have this relationship. So we grow in Christ in the same way. We've been taught that the gospel was primarily a message for unbelievers. But the gospel is not just a message for unbelievers. It is a message for all people, lost and saved. Because we have to continuously remember why we're in the place that we are. How we have this relationship with God is because of what we've done. So we grow, we grow in Christ, not by moving beyond the gospel, but by planting ourselves deeper into the gospel. It's a, it's a movement. This is why we say that we are a church on mission. We are constant moving. And we're moving towards the same thing. But to do that together, we have to be rooted and grounded in the gospel message. And to get off of that would be for us to abandon the mission that we've been called to. And we'll be doing everything else that's not even what God has asked us to do. So Paul says we have to, church, we have to keep moving beyond, not just beyond the gospel, but rooting ourselves in it, being in the word. A church without the gospel at the center is without power. If you don't have the gospel, you have no power. And you know where the power is? The power is that of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're not reading the Bible, you don't know who the Holy Spirit is. I've been in churches that talked about the Holy Spirit. They had no idea who the Holy Spirit was. And I've been in some churches that they were scared of the Holy Spirit. And I used to joke that they kept the Holy Spirit in the janitor's closet. They didn't want to let them out because they didn't know what to do with it. I've been in churches you never talked about the Holy Spirit. Unless it just happened to come up in a verse, you would read it and then move on. Can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit is not something to be afraid of. It is something to embrace. And I will get to that in just a second. But Paul touches on this again in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, beholding the glory of God in, in the face of Jesus, we are being, what's that word? Transformed. We're being transformed. That, that's going back and, and, and realizing I just didn't move beyond the gospel. I have planted myself in to, to become deeper into this, that I'm being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. I, I am being transformed. When I understand that, that the, without the gospel, there's no power in Christianity, that the Holy Spirit is the power that's moving. And, and when I'm in you know, I have found myself planted in the gospel. I am being transformed. I am being renewed every single day. So how do we grow in our love for God? Because we, we say we love God, right? That's number one of our, our statement. We love God when we see more Jesus. We love God when we see more Jesus. We, we love God when we grow in obedience, and the way that we grow in obedience is to see more Jesus. When we see Jesus for who he is, things change. Isn't it amazing that we can all see Jesus but never really be changed by him because we don't recognize who he is? I think about the story going back to Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was brought as a baby into the temple. All these people walking around Jesus, and nobody recognized who he was. 
Jesus is hanging on a cross, speaking prophecy, talking to God, having conversations with his Father. And people are seeing this. So many eyes are seeing this, and yet they don't really see it. And, and it's the same way in our lives is that here is, here is Jesus, and we don't really see him. If you want to see him, you got to get in his word, and you got to get around people who are seeing it, and you got to have conversations about this. And then you'll feel a lot more confident in sharing the gospel with people. You don't have to be weird about it, okay? We don't have to be, please don't be weird about it. And if you are, you're not from this church. Just give them another church name. Don't be weird about it. Just simply love people. You can do that if you go out to lunch today. Just simply call the waiter or waitress by name. Pray for them. Don't bring them into the huddle and put your arm around them and embarrass them. But you can ask them, hey, can I, I'm going to pray for our food. Can I just pray for you for a moment? Is there anything I can pray for you about? And pray for them. Show them, show them Christ, because there's a lot of Christians that we're going to go to restaurants today, and they're going to rip off by not tipping or being rude to the people that are trying to serve them. So here, here's what I'm saying. If you want to be a church that fulfills the mission of the gospel, the gospel has to be at the center. Martin Luther says this, the gospel is the doctrine on which the church rises or it falls. It's the doctrine of which we will rise and when we will fall. That's why the gospel has to be of first importance. And I'm very quickly going to go through this point. So how can we go wrong with this? Because I've heard this preached before. I've heard people say we're a gospel-centered church. We, we believe in the gospel. We hold strong the gospel. And then the next thing you know, it's me-centric type church. It's not exegetical studies of studying what the gospel says. It's not exegesis where we're putting ourselves in the stories. So, so how, do, how could this go wrong? Number one, this can go wrong if we put a greater emphasis on do than done. If we put a greater emphasis on do than done, in many churches, the emphasis can be put on what we must do. We have to do all these things. I remember when we started this church, I was meeting with a church planner, and he's, he's like, so, so what's your marketing plan? No, I don't, we don't have a marketing plan. When's your launch date? Um, whenever Jesus preached, or Paul preached in Acts, and the Holy Spirit came down and started the church, that was our launch date. Um, well, are you going to put any billboards up? Are you going to do? No. Well, how are you going to advertise? Um, talk about Jesus. What do you have any, you have like $100,000 to launch the church? Nope, hadn't even started a bank account yet. Well, when are you going to meet? Oh, we met last weekend. We did everything backwards. Everything. And here we are, everybody. Because of the Holy Spirit. And what the gospel is. We are anomaly, because I'll, I'll have church planners all the time, tell me how you got started. I don't know if you want to know how we did this. Because you may not be ready for it. We don't have fancy buildings. We don't have chairs that match. We, don't, we have hearts and passion for Jesus. And that's the most important thing. I will sacrifice everything to have that, to have people that are chasing after Jesus and being transformed. And nothing wrong with the other stuff, but we place our most important thing on the gospel. We, we don't, it's not about what we do. It's not about what your attendance is. You can have faithful attendance. You can volunteer every weekend. You can be in a disciple group. You can have one-to-one -one discipleship and not be rooted in the gospel and go to hell. And not never have a relationship with Jesus. You can know a lot of stuff about him. You can read a lot of stuff. But Paul told us that when he, we, we're supposed to get to know who Jesus is, it wasn't knowing by understanding. It wasn't knowing by education. What he was saying is we experience our, our knowledge comes from our experience with him. I know this because I've been there before. I can tell you that God's going to watch after you because I've been in situations where I wonder if he was even watching. 
if he was even going to hear my prayer. I can tell you those things because I've been there. I've learned from experience. So the gospel message is not about what you do. It is about what Christ has already, say it with me, what Christ has already and what he did you can't do. And because you can't do it, that's why he came. Holding fast to the gospel enables us to do good works. So I want you to take, take just one second and think about what God's done for you. Think about what God's done for you. Just one second. So we can't put a greater emphasis on do than done. If we do it, it's about us, and this is not his church anymore. Here's the second thing. You can take your conversion for granted. Taking your conversion to grant, for granted, we, we'll, we can go wrong with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that he would put along, alongside his, his preferences for the gospel. People who grow up in church usually believe in God. They usually participate in church activities. They obey all the laws. But Jesus says that, that that stuff's not enough. Like, he said, you must be born again. Now, he's telling this to the super spiritual guys, the Pharisees. That you can have all these things right and know all these things and still be so wrong in what it is. We can get so wrapped up in our traditions. And so we can take our conversion for granted of, yeah, I... I know who Jesus is. I can, remember the, I can remember the night that I was sitting in a pew with my hands gripped to the pew, sweating, knowing that I was supposed to get up and make a decision. I remember that night. But I don't take that night for granted because that was the night I met the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know who he was. I just felt like my heart was about to beat out of my chest. But it was the Holy Spirit moving. And I'll never forget that night. Never forget looking at my pastor. The first thing I did, I lied to him. Do you know what this is all about? Yes, sir. I just knew I needed Jesus. I didn't know anything else. Don't ever take your conversion for granted. Remember where you came from. Here's the, here's the third thing. You can prioritize your preference over the mission. Sure, we all have preferences, right? Some are okay with buying generic cereal. I'm not. Don't buy me the cereal in the bag. I want a box. I want... Fred Flintstone and Wilma on the Fruity Pebbles, not Pebbles Fruity. You know, I want, I, want the, I want the real thing. That's my preference, right? I've got a lot of preferences. Anybody have preferences? Spouses, do you, does your spouse have preferences that get on your nerves, right? Mine is just like putting laundry in a chair and then eventually just moving it. That's, I like to do that. Um, but we can prioritize our preference over the mission. We, 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 we want to be so comfortable but the Bible calls us to, he, Jesus never called us to comfort. He, every time he told the disciples to get in the boat and to go to the other side, he was calling them to be uncomfortable. The other side was not the place they wanted to go. The other side was a pagan area. And getting that boat off the shore in the deep waters, that was a fear. Because they had this whole mythi, uh, mythology that it was the abyss, and if the boat sank, they would drown and never come back. He never called them to be comfortable. When he sent them out in groups of two, they weren't comfortable with that. If we start choosing preference over the mission, we miss it. There are things that we prefer. There's things as a pastor I prefer. I'd love to have a building. We're, we're working on that, by the way. I'd love, to, I'd love to just not set up and tear it out anymore. That'd be great, right? I'd love to have more people. Those are all preferences. But we're not going to focus on what we don't have. We're going to focus on what we do have and who we have, and that's who we're going to invest in. That's the gospel message. Because we can get so caught up that our preferences override the mission. Jesus was very clear on the mission was not about us. It was about the lost. 
but the gospel's for everybody. And here's the last thing of prioritizing uniformity and secondary things. Paul says that the gospel is of first importance. It means that there were other things that were important, but the gospel above was the most important of all these things. That we will be unified in the gospel. We may not agree on some secondary things. There's off-side topics. We will have the liberty to, to have conversations and love each other, but we will stand firm in what the gospel is. And that we will fight and never surrender. Anybody who wants to fight against the gospel, it's, it's up against them anyway. We believe that the gospel above all is the most important value that we have. This church is not, hear me out, we are not an organization. We are an organism. We are the body of Christ. And we will treat and steward and care for the body of Christ. And we do that through the gospel. So there's a couple of things this morning as we close. Number one, I want you to think, has there been a time that where you have experienced the gospel? That you can say without a doubt, I, I know that I know that Jesus has control over my life. And then maybe there's somebody here that you, you don't. He, he doesn't. He doesn't. He, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. There's never been that moment where I just, I've surrendered to him. And if that's you, here's what I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit may be moving in your life right now. And you may feel that tightness in your chest. You may feel like I'm talking directly to you. And that's not me talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. And he's, he's bringing you and calling you in to a relationship with him. If that's you, here's all I want you to do. If we would just bow our heads. There's no special prayer. There's no powerful prayer that changes everything. All you need to do is say, Jesus, please save me. Just save me. Save me. If you've, if you've said that this morning, remember the gospel is about transformation, not just making a one-time, God, save me. We want to help you. And I want you to do something for me. And I want you to go to that welcome desk. And I want you to let them know that you made a decision. And we want to help get you connected and help you grow in that relationship. So, Father, today I just pray that um, for those who have made that decision, that they would have the boldness to go and, and have that conversation. That we can get them connected in the life of our church. We thank you for your gospel message that it, it is, we are being saved it is a continual thing that you are renewing and drawing us to you. And we thank you that you've given that to us. And I just pray right now that as a church, we would stand firm and make that our priority. It would be of first importance here. So Jesus, we love you. We ask that you would be the center of all that we do, of this church and our lives. And we pray these things in your name.